Again, we wanted to remind you, this is the premier community radio station of the nation, 91.7 KOOP, right here in Austin, Texas. This is bringing light into darkness. We are visiting with our special guest, Major Scott Ritter, and we rejoin our discussion as Scott describes the fracturing of NATO that's not being reported in the mainstream press. Let's talk about Germany for a second, too, because I think this is really important what you're saying. Number one, it seems to me, and what Biden has been saying is he's bringing these U.S. troops into some of these NATO countries, but not into harm's way. He's he's willing to give up Ukraine and let Ukraine get rolled under the bus type of thing, I believe. I think that the strategy is if Russia does do any kind of insurgent deal in, into the Ukraine, then the it may rally the EU into unifying an economic sense with sanctions and all of that. And I think Putin's trying to avoid all of that for sure. But when the German chancellor came to the United States and spoke with Biden, he did not say that he would shut down Nord Stream, did he? Can you talk a little bit about the energy economics there and whether or not your take as to where Germany is relative to trying to create and maintain this image of a unified NATO, what you just indicated, is not so unified. Well, you know, the United States has for some time now, and this predates Biden, predates Trump, predates Obama, been highlighting what it articulates as the Achilles tendon of Europe, and Germany in particular, that is their over-reliance on Russian energy. And there's this myth that's been put out about that, that Russia will use the weaponization of this energy to compel Europe to do things that Europe doesn't want to do. Right. Um, now, anybody who knows anything about the history of Russia, even during the height of the Cold War, when Russia, when the Soviet Union and NATO you know, were, were facing off with millions of men looking at each other across the, the border between East and West Germany, Russia provided energy to Western Europe. Never once did Russia cut off this energy. Uh, the, the Soviet Union and now Russia today has invested decades of uh, hard work in developing the reputation of being a reliable provider of energy. They have never weaponized energy and they never will be the ones who initiate the weaponization of energy because first and foremost, Russia needs to sell this gas to make, raise money. So they're not, they're not gonna you know, cut their own throat. And, and Germany is also, you know, is dealing with, and, and the rest of Europe is dealing with economic realities that is, for their economies to function, they need energy to be available at as, as low a price as possible. Mm-hmm. And the Russians provide gas at the lowest possible price. And so it's, it's to the advantage of Europe to get ready access to cheap, reliable energy that, that makes economic development sustainment predictable. We're at the point right now where the, the level of, of gas reliance is, is in the 40% area, maybe higher in some countries, lower in others. But overall, I think it's like 45, 47%. Uh, you know, that's not 100%, but um, <laughs> you take away 40% anything and you got nothing <laughs> because an economy needs 100% functionality to, to survive. If you take away 40%, it's only operating on 60%. That economy isn't just going to stand there at 60%. It's going to collapse. Europeans know this, that if they yeah. sanction Russian energy, if they sanction Russia's ability to pay by cutting Russia off from the SWIFT banking system, first of all, if you cut Russia off from the SWIFT banking system, you have violated the contract, not Russia. Mm-hmm. Because the contract that exists between Russia 
and uh, and Western Europe contains very specific you know rules about how Russia will be compensated through what bank accounts, et cetera, et cetera. And if you go in and pull the plug on that, you have violated the contract. And Russia has said that if the West violates the contract, the West will get no gas from Russia. And when that happens, it's game, set, match all over. Um, And Germany knows this. This is why Germany is not running to uh, raise its hand and say, hey, pick me, pick me. Let's take out Nord Stream 2. Let's let's cut off the energy because it's economic suicide. And Germany, like the rest of Europe, is a democracy, not a dictatorship. And what happens to democratically elected leaders instigate a policy that brings about the economic ruin of their constituents? You know, James Carville brought this up when Bill Clinton was running for president back in the 1990s. It's the economy, stupid. And that's exactly what it is. You mess with the economy, you will not be in power. And there's not a democratic ruler alive that wants to willingly commit political suicide when he doesn't have to. And these sanctions will not work. They won't so, work. They won't happen. Uh-huh. It's not going to play ball. And that's the other thing that's been exposed is the weakness of the United States and NATO is they talk about, well, we may not have the military capacity to uh, deter Russia, but we have the economic capacity. No, they don't. It's worse than this because the way the United States is behaving is despicable. You talked about the visit of the German Chancellor, Schultz. Mm -hmm. He stood there in the White House at a press briefing and watched as the President of the United States promised to end, to terminate Nord Stream 2. Right. Even after, even after reporters said, that's none of your business, it's a German business. The President said, trust me, I promise you, I will end it. Well, wait a minute. Are you a colonial master? Is Germany merely a sharecropper? And that's exactly what Germany is. You know what happened today? Because the European Union operates on a consensus-based model, Austria today said we will never support attaching Nord Stream 2 to any EU sanctions. So it's over. The United States can say what they want, but Nord Stream 2 is not going to be stopped because it can't be stopped because it's just too important to the economy of Europe. Russia knows that. Can you explain the, the significance of Austria's position? I mean, it's, it's, it's a number of nations that actually exert some type of final decision making, and they are all European nations. Is that what you're saying? And that Austria is not aboard, and Germany has not committed as well? I guess for me, I know that when Biden makes these threats and stuff behind closed doors, there is a lot of arm twisting that that must go on and whether or not these are, I wouldn't call them vassal states, but some of these NATO states, when Biden or the U.S. says jump, you know, they say, well, how high, that type of thing. But you're saying that that's, that's no longer the reality. You wrote that about in one of your pieces, by the way, just to our audience. And, and I want to remind folks, we're visiting with Scott Ritter. He's a former U.S. Marine intelligence officer, and he spent over 20 years in the service and did tours in the former Soviet Union and is very familiar with war and these conflicts and such. So it's a great, great privilege to have your perspective. But I guess getting back to, I think this is important. What what you're saying, if I understand you right, is that what appears to be this NATO cohesion and such, there are are cracks in in a number of different walls. And that when Biden speaks what Germany will do or will not do, that's very demeaning to any leader to be, I'm talking about the German leader, to, to assume that he's speaking for us or whatever, but you're saying it's not just Germany, but 
Can you go back? You said Austria came out just today. And are there other nations that are more closely connected that are showing that the, these cracks are building in this NATO wall, so to speak? Well, when we speak of Nord Stream 2, we need to understand that there, there's two different battles being waged uh, in an effort to shut it down. The first is to get try and get Germany to pull the plug. As Germany has mentioned over and over again, it can't pull the plug because it's not a German operation. Even though it's on German soil, it's a multinational conglomerate uh, comprised of a variety of uh, diverse European interests in partnership with Gazprom, the Russian gas provider. But Europe is a region of laws. <laughs> you know, it's the European Union and the European community. And there are laws that govern how these multinational conglomerates work and operate. And it's not a dictatorship. You just can't come in and snap your finger and make it go away. First of all, the German government would uh, accrue immediate responsibility for uh, you know, over $12 billion worth of investment that's already been made by this conglomerate. So if the German government went and shut it down, they, they'd lose in court. They'd have to turn over $12 billion, plus other damages, too. You know, we're talking about not just the, the money invested, but you know how the law works. These guys would say, and you cost this X amount of profit over this amount of time. And, you know, and the German government would lose. So the German government said from day one, they can't stop it. It's not that easy. Now, the European Union and the European Commission have the ability to regulate. And, and, and you've seen the reason why Nord Stream 2 is not operating today is that the European Commission, I believe, has said that they have failed to meet certain regulatory uh, registration requirements. Well, they just made those regulations happen. So there's really no roadblock. But now you have the European Union trying to come together with sanctions packages towards Russia, some which they plan on uh, issuing preemptively to say, you know, we're going to punish Russia just for threatening this situation. But the European Union is a consensus-driven organization. Everybody has to agree. And Austria today just said, no, we're not playing ball. So that's it. There will be no European Union sanctions against Nord Stream 2 because it can't happen. So even if people thought that Germany might jump on board and you know, the, the German chancellor kept his mouth shut while Biden was promising to shut down. He never once said that he would do that. You know, it, but now we know it doesn't matter. It's been taken. That's been taken out of Germany's hand. Austria today just said, no, we're not playing ball. And, and, and I think you'll find that most of Europe doesn't want to play ball. I think a lot of people are starting to question what it is they're being asked to sacrifice so much you know, in defense of. What is going on here? With the NATO fracturing, if you will, didn't Germany also forbid UK to use their airspace, fly supplies to... Well, that's, why, that's what I meant when I said that Germany opted out. Germany uh, is not only not sending lethal arms, they're not allowing other NATO members to, to use their airspace to fly uh, lethal uh, arms to Ukraine. And I think the more people look at it, for instance, French President Macron just flew to Moscow to meet with Russia. And he has said, again, you know, he has to articulate we must defend the, the NATO proposition that we have an open door policy and all nations that qualify who want membership should be offered membership. But then he said, we also have to recognize that Russia has legitimate national security interests and we have to do things that respect these interests. Mm -hmm. but I think you know, more and more NATO is waking up. Europe is waking up to the fact that Russia does have legitimate interests that Europe and NATO have paid short shrift to these uh, legitimate interests uh, over time. 
and that Russia has basically said enough is enough. And again, I come back to a point I was making. The entire timeline here is being directed by Russia. Russia is in control. No yeah. one else. The states of NATO are reacting to Russia. And this is why I say the last thing Russia is going to do is initiate an offensive military action. Because Russia's goal here is not the physical destruction of Ukraine. It could do that anytime it wants to. Russia's goal is the fracturing of NATO, the weakening of NATO, because Russia views NATO as an existential threat. Uh, the irresponsible eastward expansion of NATO, Russia says, is unacceptable. And so Russia's goal here is to create uh, fractures within uh, NATO and European unity. And you know what? They're succeeding. Well, Scott, let me let me ask you this. It almost seems to me that the the bellicose language uh, that the United States today and, and and for the last week or two or whatever keep rolling out this imminent invasion, then they change it from imminent to like it's going to happen anytime, and all of this is almost like from what you're saying that we pretend like we do not want Russia to invade, and we're doing everything we can to keep them from invading, but actually it sounds like we really want them to invade because that may be the only thing that could unify what is getting fractured, namely the NATO alliance. And I think Putin knows that, and he's not going to do anything of the sort. I think he would provide support to the Donbass area if they came under attack by the Ukrainian forces or whatever, but that wouldn't necessitate an invasion of any sort, right? That would be just maybe uh, overflights and things of that nature. I mean, can you s speak to that long game kind of thing? Is, is that... Well, what I would what I would say, this is just purely an analytical hat. I don't have any insight into what Russia is actually thinking. No one does, except the Russians. But I would say this: that time is not the friend of Russia. The more time NATO and the European Union have to develop, you know, a, a economic sanction strategy, the more effective that strategy will be. The more time they have to deliver weapons to the Ukrainian military and train the Ukrainian military, the more effective Ukrainian military will be. So Putin is not going to play, that Russia is not going to play the long game on NATO terms. And, and so I think they're, they're looking for a resolution. And I'll give you another insight. The United States is screaming wolf. You know, this is like the boy who cried wolf. Now, on the one hand, if uh, if they're right and Russia invades tomorrow, they can say, oh, we were right. Now, U.S. intelligence hasn't been right about much lately. So I'm not too impressed with any assessment that says Russia is going to attack. It's superficial. And I just think it's uh, it, it, it flies in the face of logic. But the U.S. is also will be able to say, I believe, if Russia doesn't invade, this is a face saving mechanism that allows the United States to say uh, we deterred the Russian invasion. We called it out. Uh, we named and shamed him. We hear this now. Russia isn't playing, you know, doesn't care about this. But remember, the purpose of the United States is not to create policy that is effective on the ground in Europe, but to create policy that is digestible by the American voter. Effective Biden has the, the, the 2022 midterm elections in mind. Biden wants to be able to look the American people in the eye and tell them how he stood strong against Russia and how by standing strong. He prevented a Russian invasion. I believe Biden and the U.S. military knows that Russia doesn't intend to invade. And you know who else knows that Russia doesn't intend to invade? The Ukrainians. The Ukrainian government is saying over and over again, hey, we don't agree with what the United States is saying here. You guys are causing problems. You're causing us some economic harm here because nobody is going to invest in the country that the United States says is going to be invaded tomorrow. 
know, we're sitting there, you know, Ukraine's sitting there trying to get five to seven billion dollars in international loans for development. Nobody's going to give them that loan if the United States is saying, no, the world ends tomorrow. So Ukraine is sitting there saying, hold your horses, guys. This is not the emergency you think it is. And if Ukraine's saying that, Ukraine also knows that it will become the emergency they think it is if they do anything precipitous with their with their military. So I don't believe the Ukrainian military is going to do anything foolish vis-a-vis the Donbass. There are some of those militias that will, but you know, Putin and his advisors are far too smart to allow some neo-Nazi crazy to hold the trigger of world war. So if, if, if one of these uh, Azov battalion knockoffs starts to attack, I think that the Russians will simply give the Russian separatists the means to uh, defend themselves without further escalation. Well, in the last few minutes that we have, let me ask you this then. On the one hand, what we're saying or what you're saying is that time is not a friend of Russia's in the sense of uh, NATO being able to consolidate its forces, get more arms into the uh, Ukrainian hands and et cetera, et cetera. So if the United States and NATO are refusing to relent on the demands connected to national security interests that Russia has, then what do you see happening most likely? I mean, do you see new pressures within NATO realigning in a way that may meet the minimum requirements that Russia has that started this whole new, very forceful diplomatic and military approach that Russia initiated in December to protect its perceived national security interests? Um, Because if the status quo remains, you know, Russia doesn't get what it wants. It, It obviously may have to do something. And I'm just trying to figure out what what you see. I mean, I, I realize, you know, you can't possibly know, but I would certainly be very interested from your perspective as to what you think is going to happen o- over the next, you know, six weeks or so. Well, I think what Russia is doing right now is the equivalent of uh, what they call in the medical profession, a stress test of NATO. <laughs> and they are, they are running NATO through the ringers right now. And NATO's failing across the board, failing miserably. They're not doing anything right. Now, you wouldn't know that by listening to uh, the United States and the NATO Secretary General, uh, Stoltenberg. But let's remember two things. The United States is playing to a domestic American audience. So just flush everything the United States says down the toilet because it's irrelevant to reality. And Stoltenberg controls nothing. He's an administrator. He's not a director. NATO is comprised of sovereign states. And what do we see the sovereign states doing? How are they responding to the stress test? Croatia has already opted out of military involvement. Bulgaria has opted out of military involvement. Turkey has opted out of military involvement. Germany doesn't want to send lethal weapons. And France sent its president to, to Moscow to negotiate the very concessions that Stoltenberg in the United States said we will never consider. Macron was talking about the Finlandization of Ukraine, that is to make Ukraine neutral. That the fact is, NATO is falling apart. The Hungarian prime minister went to Moscow at the height of the, the effort to create these sanctions and signed a whole new energy uh, you know, supply uh, contract with Russia. That's a NATO member. They've opted out. One by one, they're falling. You know, and the ones that are staying, the British have just been humiliated. Not just what Lavrov did to Tess and the, Tess and the, you know, in their in their press conference. That was unfortunate uh, for the great for the British because their their ambassador is quite an intelligent woman. Uh, but this foreign secretary is an embarrassment. 
But, you know, the, the British Minister of Defense uh, traveled to Croatia, and the Croatian Prime Minister refused to meet with him. He said, why would I meet with the British defenseman? Who is he? What can he bring to the table? Nothing. I won't meet with him. The, the, you know, NATO is falling apart, and that's what the Russians are doing. So the Russians will continue to stress test NATO uh, until they get the concessions they're looking for. And already we see the United States bending over backwards to implement some sort of arms control agreement, for instance, a resurrection of the uh, Intermediate Nuclear Forces Treaty, talk about on-site inspections of the two uh, missile defense sites, one in Poland, one in Romania. Uh, these are things that Russia wanted. And you have Macron talking about the Finlandization of uh, Ukraine. That takes Ukraine out of the NATO map. And then I think you're going to see NATO, after they take a look at how difficult it is, how expensive it is to redeploy forces, uh, talk about maybe we need to have some sort of structure where we pull back and the Russians pull back some of their troops deeper into Russia and we create a, zone, a demilitarized zone along the border. That's exactly what Russia wants. And that's happening right now. So I think the Russians are very pleased with uh, how things are proceeding. Very good. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for your time. I want to let folks know that we've been visiting with Scott Ritter. He writes routinely, but he wrote a piece we're highlighting to begin the show on, on Putin. That was in consortiumnews.com and um, also uh, has been writing extensively also about this very topic that we focused much of our attention on tonight, which I thought was very interesting, the fracturing of, of NATO. The two fairly recent articles that we've focused on our show's content on with Scott Ritter tonight was the one that we've already identified earlier in the show. That was America's Putin Psychosis, published on February 2nd, 2022 in consortiumnews.com. The other article he wrote, Russia Moves toward checkmate in Ukraine, by, written by Scott Ritter back on January 28th, 2022, and that was first published in uh, Energy Intel. Both of these articles cover much of the material that an informed mind would be interested in understanding. But Scott, if people want more information and access your writings, is there a website or how would you instruct folks to to access your writings on a more regular basis well i i post everything i write on my twitter feed so um i i'm um at real scott ritter on twitter and everything gets posted there as soon as it's uh, published very good thank you for making yourself available and once again thank you so much for everything you do scott thank you very much for having me and i hope stay healthy wealthy and wise and um yeah i look forward to the links and uh, i'm sure we'll be talking again down the road all right brother We'll see you next week. Coming up next, do not go anywhere unless you're not on KOOP.org right now. Switch on over to the internet if you're on the FM dial to hear Emo Diaries with co-op's very own Stephanie at the Disco. I can't wait. And we go out as we do every week with Land of Navity.
Yeah. 